Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, editor Maduni Krishnan, and today Ned Russell and I talk about United's third quarter earnings, North Atlantic and its plans for the transatlantic next summer, and what the outlook is for carriers that are yet to report in the third quarter and for the rest of the year. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey there, Ned. How are you? I'm good, Madhu. How are you doing today? I'm good. And you know what I'm excited about, Ned? What's that? I'm excited for November 17th. That's Skift's Aviation Forum, our second annual forum in partnership with Dallas-Fort Worth. It's going to be a great day. We've got a, a good lineup of speakers uh, already, and uh, you and I are both going to be uh, yeah, attending virtually. <laughs> and in interviewing people virtually, including Stephen Abarhazi, Doug Parker, Peter Elbers, and a whole bunch of other people from luminaries in the aviation industry. So I'm looking forward to that. Com um, registration is complimentary for Airline Weekly subscribers. Go to uh, go to the site and see how to, to register. All right, with that out of the way, Ned, <laughs> we got a lot to get to today. United, earnings, go. Tell me what they said. <laughs> United kicked off, uh, well, they kicked off earnings this week. Uh, Delta was last week. And they they are optimistic again, which is interesting to hear after, you know, we had July was their, their earnings call in July was full of optimism. And then things were walked back in September because of the Delta variant uh, across the board. United was included, but they're optimistic again. And their optimism is very much in the international recovery. They uh, they talked about, uh, you know, the removal of U.S. travel restrictions, country specific travel restrictions, uh, moving to a, a vaccine mandate for all arriving travelers. And they talked about, you know, transatlantic bookings are now at 2019 levels. Wow. So the, the recovery has come back strong and, and they're really optimistic for 2022. They're planning to fly, uh, I believe it's 5% more capacity system wide than in 2019 next year. Wow. Now, who's right? United or IATA? I mean, IATA says that, uh, you know, international demand isn't really coming back till 2024. So that's a good point. They, they were, management was asked about that today, uh, and this is Wednesday, and they made it clear that international demand is not back uniformly around the world. Transatlantic is going to be up significantly next summer compared to 2019. Same with Latin, and that's driven by near Latin to the U.S. And for the U.S., that's Mexico, Caribbean, Central America. But Pacific's going to be down, and they maintained expectations that the Pacific is probably 12 to 18 months behind transatlantic demand. You know, Scott Kirby said he thinks uh, Australia and Singapore are really going to be the leaders in reopen Pacific as, as they've made some moves to reopen their economies uh, recently. So it's not a uniform recovery for 2022. That's for sure. No, that, that, that's in line with something Delta CEO Ed Bastian said last week when he said the Pacific network will be a, quote, laggard compared with the rest of the Delta's international networks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it, it, so we're seeing this this play out as a lot of public health um, officials said over the course of the last 18 months that the recoveries will follow sort of the trajectory of vaccine rollouts in countries. And, you know, Europe and North America have done very well um, <clears throat> and there are parts of Asia and Africa that are quite far behind in their vaccination programs and are taking more draconian um, measures in, in containing the virus. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, I think Australia is the perfect example of a country that is using vaccination rates to really drive the reopening. They said they're not going to reopen for international travelers uh, or drop 
quarantine requirements until 80% of the population is vaccinated. And now it's looking like they're going to, they're getting there on November 1st. So Australia is reopening its borders. It's still, there's still some limitations, you know, they're, I believe, only allowing in uh, citizens, permanent residents, uh, whole slew people without quarantine requirements from November 1st. But already, you know, Kirby is optimistic about outlook there. Qantas is adding flights. Um, I have, anecdotally, I have friends looking at Christmas flights from Australia to see family in this U.S. And, and they're saying it's a five thousand Australian dollars per person wow. at this point. There's so much pent up demand to use that cliche. Uh, for travel. So, you know, it's, yeah, like you said, uh, like executive said, it's vaccines are really driving the reopening and where vaccination rates are high. The demand is there and it's robust. Right. Now, United, uh, United, I believe, turned a profit, right? Mm, No, they did not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the headline of the press release I saw floating around. Well, you know, numbers can be cut any way you want. But if you take out the $1.1 billion in uh, federal COVID-19 relief, they lost $329 million right. in the third quarter. Yeah. So, no, they're not properly yet. They're not like Delta, who did eke out a small profit in Q3 without $216 million. Right. Yep, $216 million. So, you know, But you know, a $329 million loss is is small for an airline the size of United and, and really certainly bodes well for them, you know, returning to profitability in future quarters it does except they will not have the benefit of 1.3 billion dollars or 1.1 billion dollars in federal benefits next quarter so i mean whether demand spikes up to the level that kirby is predicting remains to be seen but call me skeptical i mean that that's a huge chunk of change there when um the federal u.s taxpayer is picking up your largest expense but you're forgetting that $329 million loss, Madhu, is without that federal aid. So, you know, they don't have too small of a gap to go before they're back there. No, that's true. That's true. But it's still, I mean, it doesn't hurt to have the taxpayers no, picking absolutely up your expense. And fuel prices are rising. That so. is right. I looked at their outlook for uh, Q3, and I mean, they're expecting a 15% plus rise on fuel expenses in, in, sorry, in Q4, outlook for Q4. So fuel prices are going up. But Kirby is optimistic for November and December. I should say Andrew Nacella, United's chief commercial officer. You know, bookings are are near 2019 levels system wide for what they're flying. And of course, it's driven by transatlantic and domestic. But you know, they're getting back there. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, let's go off on a little tangent here. I mean, the, a lot of a CEO's job is messaging, and of course, it's uh, it's 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 been interesting to me over the course of this pandemic to see how disparate and how different the the messaging is from the mainly the U.S. CEOs. I mean, you've got Kirby right from the beginning being very bullish on the end of the pandemic, on soaring demand, and 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 on the other end, you have you know as we've mentioned. Um, Gary Kelly of Southwest being, who is by nature taciturn, being a lot more bearish. And then you have Ed Bastian, who, I don't know, who, he's he's a little bit more bearish than than than, um, <clears throat> than Kirby. And you, you talked to a bunch of airline leaders at the IATA AGM earlier this month. Um, I think you, I remember you telling me that Karsten Spohr, Lufthansa's chief, was pretty, pretty bullish, right? He is. He's, you know, especially, 
Yeah, his vaccination rates have risen. He's gotten more bullish. I listened to a couple of earnings calls as well. And it was funny watching him on stage with Tim Clark, uh, the president of, of Emirates, who How said clearly <laughs> business travel would be back to normal to pre-pandemic levels next year. And, and Carson Spore quickly jumped in to not be outspoken by by uh, Clark to say, yes, long term, absolutely business travel will be back. So and then Kirby didn't want to be out uh, outspoken <laughs> by either of them chimes in. So. It's it, there is a, a broad spectrum of opinions out there. Uh, you know, when you go to Avianca, they're thinking it's going to be more of a leisure travel focused future with business travel down. Right? 50%. Didn't you say about half uh, Avianca's Adrian Newhouser believes half of business travel is gone forever? Absolutely, he does. Forty to fifty percent. Uh, you know, so like everything, it'll probably end up somewhere in the middle. But yeah, there's the fundamental question that I, I find is. Even if business travel goes down 25% from 2019 levels initially, you know, the world is growing, business is growing, companies are growing, won't the growth eventually return? It's just, it's, it's, it'll get back to the number eventually. Of course, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's yes, a, you're yeah. right. It's a numbers game. I mean, populations are growing. There are more businesses, more, which means more business travels. Now, I mean, the difference is, of course, the percentage of, right, the number, the proportion of people who are traveling for business will probably could probably be lower but there will be more people so more people will be traveling i mean it's right. just math and um, that goes to, that dovetails into another trend united highlighted on their call and it's the emergence of premium leisure travels right. travelers and you delta spoke about that last week but united added a little bit more color they said they expect a two to three percentage point uh, boost in le- leisure yields from premium leisure travelers uh now they said they aren't sure yet if that's going to outweigh any permanent decrease in business travel, and they're waiting to see how that balances each other out. But they're definitely seeing uh, higher yields from this um, this premium leisure segment. And that that is something that Ed Bastian said last week as well. And, but but Delta is putting its money where its mouth is, right? And that's the difference between United and Delta. United is not planning to retrofit its fleet with more premium leisure seats. Like, uh, am I right? Um, no, you're right. But I'd like to point out there that United's fleet has more premium seats on it than Delta's right. does to begin with. So mm-hmm. uh, that could in part be the fact that United doesn't see the need to add anymore. I remember in this course, the 777s at Delta have been retired, but I remember covering this several years ago. United shrank its business class cabin on the 777-200 to, I want to say... Two thirds to half the size of United's, though they had I mean, a larger Delta, Delta shrink, right? De- Delta shrink, that's right. And though they had more premium economy seats on their plane than United, so it's a question. It's it's like you said, it's a numbers game. Delta might be adding seats, but United may think they're already there since they had more to begin with. Uh, United did confirm they would put their premium economy on the A321 XLRs that aren't due till 2024. Though, considering those planes were already slated to fly transatlantic, I don't think anyone had a had many doubts there but that's not really reconfiguring planes that's just saying you know we're going to put this on on a new plane that's coming in the future so hey, united's not as confident in um in in putting its money where its mouth is just yet on premium leisure right well let's take a little break here ed hey madu welcome back um, you had the interesting opportunity to speak with uh, one uh, someone else who has a very different perspective on Transatlantic and the recovery there. Tell us a bit about your interview with North Atlantic. So Bjorn Torre Larsen, the um, CEO of North Atlantic, kind of echoed what's 
Scott Kirby and Ed Bash and even Carson Spore said in terms of premium leisure demand. I mean, he he thinks, you know, a few weeks ago I spoke to Marc Rocher, the the head of French B, who said, uh, you know, the Air France's and Lufthansa's of the world will um, will be at a major disadvantage because so much of their revenue came from premium from the front of the aircraft, and they have these large aircraft full of premium seats that will not that are just not suited to the moment. Um, you know this le- this moment we're in with the, where leisure demand is expected to dominate in the transatlantic. But uh, Larson had a slightly different take on it. He kind of agreed with Roche um, and said that uh, you know Air France and Lufthansa and their ilk will be at a disadvantage because they have these large aircraft. Their cost per seat are higher, et cetera, et cetera. But he did say. He sees a large market for premium leisure. Uh, he thinks more more leisure travelers going, you know, taking vacations in the U.S. or in in Norway or France will want will want to pony up for the front of the aircraft, uh, because as he said, you know, people have been saving a lot of money during the pandemic and they'll want they haven't been able to travel, so they'll want to treat themselves. So I thought that was interesting. It kind of split the difference between Mark Roche and and, and say Ben Smith. Um, so, it's an interesting point. You know, I keep hearing this about people saving a lot of money, but that you know, we've also had a discussion before about you know, a lot of people have also used that money to to invest in home improvements and everything. You know, it's so it, I really do wonder how much free cash is floating out there versus what people need to travel versus what people want to you know redo their deck or or remodel the kitchen is. That's that's a very good question and it's one that I think economists are still trying to figure out. Now early in pandemic as we all know um uh people started hoarding money because or saving a lot of money because of the uncertainty of the the near term no one knew when vaccines would would be developed. Everyone was scared, people were stuck at home, they're saving a lot of money and watching Netflix. Um, and then, you know, the trajectory was and then the people started to relax and started putting in new kitchens and, and bathrooms, et cetera, because they couldn't travel. Now, Kirby, Scott Kirby is of the belief that uh, and he said this publicly a few times that people are done remodeling their houses and will now want to travel. Others aren't so sure. So, um, you know, considering but, the backlog that my friends have and getting contractors to do work here in Washington, D.C., I'm not sure either. Yeah, I, I know. Exactly. It's the same in California. And and also you look at the the rising prices of, of raw materials. I mean, it's uh, so I, no one's really sure. But what everyone is convinced of is that the savings rate across in much of the developed world is high. Um, now, back to <laughs> Bjorn Tora Larson and uh, North Atlantic. Um so he he think he did say you know there's a lot there will be a lot of aircraft pointed at the the <clears throat> the Atlantic market next summer. He thinks demand is going to be really high. It could in some places approach 2019 levels, but capacity also will be high because the Lufthansa's, Air France's, and United of the world are not flying their wide bodies to Asia. So where they're going to put them? They're going to start. That's opening. a really good point. Yeah, they're United. Start, by- sorry, go on. No, I was no, gonna, United I, brought that up today, you know, when they talked about their, their varying recoveries. I mean, they're talking about global international capacity up 10% compared to 2019, but Pacific's going to be down significantly. So where's that going? It's going to Europe. It's going to Cancun, you know, but Europe is going to be, the you know, like you said, big, uh, big recipient of that. Absolutely. That's what he said. You know, they're going to be opening new routes. And excuse me, listeners, earlier for clearing my throat. I just had something caught in it. But um, they're going they're going to uh, be pointing these. They're going to be opening a whole bunch of new routes. And we've seen this. We've seen Delta going to Dubrovnik and, and um, you know, 
United. Well, that was last year, Madhu. That was I mean, last let's think year. about, this, or, or I guess this year, twenty twenty one. It was this year. It was earlier but this year. Let's think twenty twenty two. United last week announced uh, five new destinations mm-hmm. across the Atlantic: um, Amman, Jordan, Tenerife, Palma de Mallorca, uh, yeah, several more that I a can't bunch, remember. Right, Bergen, right. Uh, several, you know, and they're definitely looking to to try out new destinations. It's it's. It's fascinating. And they mentioned that they think there's premium leisure demand to these places. People who want to go on holiday but are willing to pay for a, a Polaris or at least a premium economy seat to, you know, Tenerife or, or Majorca for, the, yeah, for their holiday. Yeah, so, so that's Larson's point. I mean, there's going to be a lot of large aircraft point at the, at the Atlantic. Now, whether whether now he, he thinks that uh, North Atlantic, is, you know, they're starting out small with three air. Once they get their AOC and um, their DOT approvals, I mean, he thinks... They're going to launch with three aircraft from uh, plying routes between Oslo, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, New York, Stewart, and um, Ontario, California. He thinks, uh, you know, they're going to be an advantage because they're going to offer their their costs are really low, so their their fares will be low, and um, that even though there will be this massive amount of capacity on the North Atlantic. Um, that the cost advantage thing he thinks will be key. Now, I want to step back there, Madhu. Those are some interesting startup destinations. Fort Lauderdale is that safe. That's a major right. leisure destination. But New York Stewart, I mean, no one has made that work. Norwegian tried it with the 737 <laughs> Max. Uh, you know, they didn't pull out because the, the Max got grounded. They had to cancel it. But I mean, that airport has never worked for anybody uh, <laughs> yeah, for a long it's, time. It's an so interesting it's, choice because. It is much lower cost than than LaGuardia, or not, not sorry, LaGuardia, than JFK. So that that is to its advantage. And in theory, the catchment area is huge. But do Americans have the same? I mean, we we know, you know, Europeans and a and people in Asia have a tendency to, are more willing to to self connect, or to you know, take the train to a large, long distance to an airport for a long haul aircraft. Um, flight do americans don't really have that same appetite for that right i know very few new yorkers that i mean they complain about having to travel to newark airport newark, across exactly, the hudson river right? and, yeah. <laughs> and that's on the train whereas stewart is at least an hour's drive from manhattan uh it's not on any transit line though i'm sure there'll be some bus running from port authority or something up there mm-hmm. uh it's it, I really question, and there's seven eight sevens they're looking to fill, right? right? We're not talking about seven three seven maxes here, so it's. I just question that they're going to have the success that they hope for going into Stewart. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you're it's on paper a huge catchment area, but it's Americans are spoiled, you know. Right, um, right. Ontario, Ontario as well. Although Ontario makes some more sense because it is it does have a pretty significant catchment area of its own. Right. There's a lot of people living in the Inland Empire out there. Yeah. I believe it was one of the fastest growing in the last census uh, exactly. in California. So. And getting to LAX is a pain for anyone um, right. on that side. <laughs> it can take as long to drive to Ontario as it does to drive to LAX, yeah, <laughs> depending so, on traffic. So so I, I that makes a little more sense to me. Um, and as you said, Fort Lauderdale is Fort Lauderdale. I mean, Florida is a goldmine for, for leisure demand, yeah. especially, you know, obviously inbound from Europe. Did Bjorn give any outlook to when they expect their AOC and their U.S. certificate? Well, the AOC is expected next month. Um, okay. They're in sort of the final stages of that, doing the work to get the um, 
the their AOC from Norway's civil aviation regulator. He believes the DOT exemption for foreign air carrier permit will follow, as he said, shortly. Um, I don't know. I mean, we we all lived through Norwegian Air's approval, and um, that took many, many, many months. So, uh, but he he did say, you know, so when Congressman um, Peter DeFazio, uh, Democrat of Oregon, earlier this year urged Sec- Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to deny Nor- North Atlantic's uh, foreign air carrier permit based on his experience with Norwegian, um, that that seemed like it would be a significant obstacle to overcome. But Bjorn Toro was um, was pretty pretty optimistic. He said they've had a lot of meetings with uh, with lawmakers that most are on side now. They believe in the business model. And as you and I both have covered, I mean, North Atlantic has had this weird charm offensive with unions and striking these preliminary deals that to support unionization and um, and sure the unions of job uh, security. So they seem to have got the buy in from most of the people who objected to um, Norwegian. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah, good. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I wish them luck. I'm, you know, still skeptical that next summer will happen, but I wish them luck. You know, yeah. Speaking of approvals, uh, Fly Play, our, our favorite little Icelandic startup, had just received their preliminary sign off by the U.S., which paves the way for them to launch next spring. But so, I wish North North Atlantic luck. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. There was one little last tidbit for my interview with him, and that is, I asked him about the union piece of it, and he said, you know, he has been in the shipping industry since um, 1989 and has always worked with the, you know, the seafarers unions and sees them as partners. And he said he, he, the, you know, the airline industry has been a bit more adversarial. So he's trying to bring that experience to the airline industry and engage the unions before um, the airline even takes its first flight. So uh, that was, that was a little tidbit that had never occurred to me, but uh, uh, it was, it was pretty interesting. So Ned, let's move on. Let's move on to uh, to the third quarter. We're in the throes of earnings now, and we've heard from Delta and United. Uh, unfortunately, we're recording this before Southwest, Alaska, and uh, American report their earnings, which is tomorrow. Um, but based on what we've heard, what you've heard, we've both heard, and the analysts we we've talked to, what do you think the outlook? for this quarter and next quarter is? I am continually hearing strength in November and December. The end of year holidays are are looking like 2019, at least for leisure travel. And, mm-hmm. and those are leisure holidays. So really business travel isn't important for around those periods. So I expect more of the same from American, uh, Alaska and Southwest. It was going to be interesting from American to hear what they're thinking about the transatlantic for next year. Now, if, if you remember, early in the pandemic, American accelerated the retirement of their 767s and their 757s. So that put them at a little bit of a disadvantage across the Atlantic because they, they use those planes primarily in that market. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they're saying about next summer. They've taken some 787s, but as we know, Boeing has uh, 787 um, issues, which continue. Um uh, 787 um, quality issues. Right. So, you know, it's I don't know if Americans going to be able to do as much across the transatlantic summer as some other competitors. That's it. They do have, uh, like, as we know, Asia is still down. So 
they could shift some of those planes over there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing that from American. And then, of course, Southwest is going to have to talk about their operational issues. Yes. Which uh, <laughs> Scott Kirby, in a not so subtle aside, uh, warned travelers that they have a um, caveat emptor or you know buyer beware to fly in airlines without a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for risk of operational disruptions. Um, <clears throat> cough, cough, uh, Southwest being the airline that doesn't have a COVID-19 mandate. Uh, and no, it does. No, they said that vaccine, unvaccinated employees seeking exemption will not be put on unpaid leave so they can continue to work over the holidays uh, with mandatory testing and oh, right. Kirby's mm-hmm. comment was what if all these people some like call in sick they give a negative test and then you have another operational disruption do you want to fly an airline where you have that risk although that we know that I mean we know that Southwest's operational issues were not due to the vaccine so Kirby's being a little disingenuous there <laughs> he's yes yes uh, not to mention that more than half of his domestic flights aren't flown on uh, United Metal so exactly um mm-hmm. And but you know it's uh those are some some interesting things to to listen for. Then of course Alaska is domestic, so they're um you know it that that will be mostly domestic recovery. Though I I look forward to finding out you know what their uh their plans are sort of for this dispersed workforce out west that we keep hearing about. You know Boise is becoming quite the little hublet for them with right. a couple new routes they just unveiled today. Boy or Idaho Falls and Las Vegas. So yeah, but and also um. Alaska had some unwelcome labor news earlier earlier this week when its pilots um, pilots union asked for more benefits, not related to vaccine mandates, but just you know wanting to come up to par with with their um, with their peers of other airlines. And um, Alaska is now filing for mediation. It's just it's drawing this you know almost two year long process of negotiation out even further, and it sounds like it's on the cusp of getting even more contentious. So that's unwelcome news. But you know, bottom line is I think what we're hearing from from the analysts and from the airlines that have reported so far is that Q3 was not as good as expected thanks to the Delta variant. I mean, no. July started off with a bang, August and September were utterly disappointing and they're all pinning their hopes on the year-end holidays. Yes. So yeah, I mean, uh, from what I'm hearing, I mean, people plan to travel. It sounds like the booking curve is lengthening, which is a good sign for airlines. But uh, how, I mean, just looking ahead to Q1, I mean, January has traditionally been a really, is generally a bad month for the airlines now. Will it be even worse? I, I don't know. So, well, you know, Kirby and, uh, you know, I've generally I heard the same sentiments from from Delta that they're expecting business travel to pick up early in the new year. And it kind of makes sense at this point, you know, travel budgets are what they are for the rest of 2021. Right. You know, I think it's going to get hard. The closer we get to the end of the year, it's going to get harder to get, you know, travel uh, CFOs and, and, you know, accountants to approve more funds. But you roll over to 2022 and they might be there. The funds might be available. So we could see uh, could emphasis on could see a, a noticeable uptick in business travel beginning of the new year. New year. Now, will that make up for the drop in leisure travel that we all know happens after the holidays? Hard to say. And I think that might be. A bit much but uh you know it we'll see we will see indeed all right ned another good week <laughs> always a pleasure madu you know and i'm happy to be here even though i'm a, i have to it's my job <laughs> and to all our listeners thanks for joining us and we look forward to talking to you again next week on the airline weekly lounge
thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Should you have comments or questions, drop editor Madhu Unikrishnan a note at mu at skiff.com. Of course, check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week. <laughs>